Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. I am Andrew, an Autistic Certified Financial Planner. I co-run Adulting on the Spectrum with Eileen Lamb. Hey, Eileen. Hey, everyone. In this podcast, we want to highlight the real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but people like us talking about their day-to-day life. Basically, we want to give a voice to a variety of autistic people. So today, our guest is Jennifer Cook, formerly O'Toole, was identified as being on the spectrum in 2011. An autism advocate, she is the author of nine best-selling books available in eight languages, including the foundational The Asper Kids Secret Book of Social Rules. Jennifer is the on-camera uh, autism expert in Netflix's internationally celebrated series, Love on the Spectrum US. She sits on the Autism Society of America's Council of Autistic Advisors and is a multi-award-winning international presenter who has spoken everywhere from the White House to the National Institute of Health to royal audiences in Europe. In her work, Jennifer helps unzip hidden social cues for neurodiverse people of all ages, coaching them toward more connected and fulfilling lives and relationships. Welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I really appreciate being with you tonight. Hey, Jennifer. Thank you for for being here. That's pretty impressive bio. I got to say, like, I didn't know about all of your achievements. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) So we, we start our podcast by asking our guests how they like to identify, and I'm talking about um, in relation to autism, you know, some people prefer on the right. spectrum, autistic, person with autism, and also your preferred pronouns. Sure. So the first one, or the last one's easiest, preferred pronouns would be she, her. Um, and then to the to your first question, I, I love that you're asking this. Um, so my preference when it comes to language regarding autism is that I don't really have a preference. And I know that for some people, you know, um, well, certainly for me, I'm a word girl. And I get that words have power. I get that. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be off writing books all the time if, if, if I didn't think that, right? So I understand that words have power. And I understand that to some people, you know, there is a massive personal heart difference to saying a person on the spectrum or a person with autism versus an autistic person using the word or not using the word disability. I realize that to many people, those choices truly um, speak volumes. And so I appreciate that you're taking the time to kind of ask that and roll with the roll with the guests' preferences. One of the things I try really hard to do is to say, you know, um, to folks, if you'll, if I will always do my best to respect their choices, you know, certainly if at the same time they won't mind that I'd rather get to the meat of whatever the question is or the discussion is, I think so often we get stuck in language in a way that makes it then difficult because we're trying so hard not to offend and we're trying so hard to be respectful that it can get difficult to to really be able to be free and open with our questions when we don't understand something. And I'm much, I really want it to be, you know, um, that ask me anything, as long as whatever you call me is a nice word, then I'm okay with it. Yeah, that's actually how we both feel. I'm gonna speak for Andrew here, but yeah. we, we like to ask people just because, you know, some people feel very strongly about it. But like, for instance, as long as, you know, it's respectful, I don't care how people call me. For myself, I use like on the spectrum. I even say Asperger's, which, which has become even more controversial. Right, I know, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, great, uh, great answer. It's nice uh, well, to... Uh, Sounds like to we're the same, on the same page. Yes. Yeah. 
I would say the vast majority of our guests are, they, they usually have a preference, but you know, yeah. you know, they're usually, I find the vast majority of people are, are not what you see online. So they usually are a bit more inclusive and understanding when you talk to somebody. Um, yeah. So. Um, and I think that that's the, you know, that's that level of respect. There was, um, I have to be honest, I have been very, very lucky, um, very fortunate in that um, on social media, I really have only ever had one person since, you know, uh, of late anyway, that I can think of, or that I can think of overall, be kind of negative online. And, you know, which is I like, I can't go 20 minutes without a negativity. I, I it, feel so. really fortunate. It's I know. Impressive. And I'm like, I realize I'm inviting it in here. I know, I know. But, and, and one of the things that he was saying was about how, you know, the majority, well, the majority of people, um, you know, speak this way and want to have person first, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and I just think it's so important that, you know, one of the things that we on the spectrum can do easily without meaning to, right, is to, is to, because perspective taking is challenging, is to be able to put, is to be able to say like what we think as, um, as being obvious is sort of just what is across the board. And obviously we know that it's not. And I thought, well, you know what, this is a teachable moment. This is a moment when this person is kind of doing exactly that. And obviously, you know, if we're responding viscerally to something, it's, it's saying much more about whatever our response is, whatever our challenge is, than it is whatever the topic is. A million years ago, I was a a domestic violence counselor for the police department in uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, there was an argument that two people had um, where the case report came in and the officer was frustrated. And I can understand why, because he had underlined, this is all about a all over a tomato. Now, clearly it wasn't over a tomato, right? And that's the thing is that earthquakes don't happen out of nowhere. There are always um, those pre-rumbles as the, the tectonic plates are shifting. Well, it's the same thing, you know, in, in real time, I think you don't have blow-ups over a tomato. There are obviously issues before. And I think the same thing goes with, with language is that we're really, there are deeper issues and deeper wounds perhaps that people are bearing when, when they're um, talking about what their needs are. So I love the fact that you, you know, that you ask it and it's fun that we have sort of a similar take on things. That is the absolute best answer to that question that we've ever got and the longest, but okay. uh, you went to board. So <laughs> thank you. Um, so, so you were diagnosed in 2011. Um, can you tell us about what that process was like and, you know, why you did get diagnosed? Sure. Yeah. So um, it was, Subsequent to my three children who are now like super old, they're now um, 19, 16 and 13, but, you know, go back 10 years or so. And, um, and I had much younger people, right? So um, they had just, it was a daughter, I have a daughter and then two sons and they had been diagnosed um, very much more, I had to fight, you know, fight for my daughter's identification. Um, she had all the boxes checked, but it was, you know, quote unquote, she's not weird enough. And that to this day, I can still remember that being, thinking that was insulting even at the time, you know, um, but once they had all been um, diagnosed or identified, um, my father had passed away not long before. And my dad was looking back on it, like a consummate classic absent-minded professor. He was, um, he was a lawyer. He was brilliant, but you know, he would by accident, like go into the ladies room twice in the same matter, you know, in the same like social event, because he was so busy being socially anxious that he wasn't paying attention to where he was going or rocking back and forth that, you know, the stuff, the stuff that we all know about. So I kind of thought, my gosh, there's got to be a connection. Clearly my dad was on the spectrum and there's got to be some kind of genetic link. 
Um, and so could this be me sort of thing. Um, the problem was, especially 10 years ago, there really wasn't any kind of good um, checklist, if you will, that was appropriate for lay people, not professionals to look at and say, oh, well, this is what that means. And this is what that means. And especially how it might appear in, in those identifying as girls, as, as females, girls or women. And basically I went, I sat down with Tony Atwood's um, inside with the guide to, you know, Asperger, Asperger syndrome. And I went through all of his bullet points and, and the DSM at the same time. And I went through all of those bullet points and said, what could that look like for me? How, how might I be achieving the same end, but differently? And I literally came up with my own checklist. I, I, it's something now, now, and I'll be happy to give you all the, the website because it's a free download. I came up with what I call the checklist checklist. Um, and it's that exact, you know, it's what I, what I did. Um, back then and brought it into um, to my therapist who I had been seeing because I wanted to be do the best job I could parenting my kiddos. Um, and her reaction was really a, so why do you want to be identified as being on the spectrum? Like, what are you looking for? What are, what are you searching for? And I, you know, I just wanted everything to make sense. Really. I just wanted it to, I wanted the if then statements of my life to make sense. And um, so it, you know, she said this, this all works for me. Click check. Yes. And it was, you know, but had that not happened, it was not something that she, that she or anybody else who was in healthcare in my life was looking, was looking to identify. It was something really that I had to go after myself. So what's, uh, what was your life like before diagnosis and after diagnosis? I know when I had my diagnosis, I understand what you're talking about, uh, the making things make sense. Yes. yes. Um, did, what changed? what changed. I think, you know, there was such a forgiveness of self. Um, I think that, um, and I used to you saying, yep, yep. Yeah. You know, uh, yep. It's, I think, um, there's a big difference, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're at the special Olympics and, and there's some kind of road race and someone's running and perhaps they're visually impaired, you are not going to yell at them if they step on your foot, right? Like you're just not because you're aware that they are operating within a certain framework and they're doing their darndest to to get along, right? Well, it's sort of the same thing. You know, when it comes to, you know, certain things, I was just as blind, if you want to call it that way, you know, or at least as, as visually impaired. And I could look back and say to myself, you know, I wasn't trying to be a know-it-all when I was a little girl, or, um, or I understand why I was trying to be, you know, trying to gain adults' favor over other children's favor. Um, or, um, you know, I realize now that, um, that if I was saying this or and I, I hurt somebody's feelings, it's not because I didn't care, it's, you know, which I would have always told you, but it came across that way. Um, for me, growing up, what I was always told was that I was too smart for my own good, which I don't think makes any sense anyway. Um, but I think what that really equates to is that I sounded like a little professor, right? And which is what Hans Asperger used that. That was the phrase he used. And I know I did. I sounded like a little adult and I did better probably with adults than I did with other kids, with my peers, you know, looking back on it now, I can say, okay, you know, it all makes sense. Um, I can forgive and say, I knew I was a good person all along. I never was trying to step on anyone's toes. I was never trying to make anyone, put anyone else down by trying to elevate myself. You know, it was really just a, a person looking her whole life to try to figure out um, if A then B, but what's B and what's A, you know? Um, so again, I, I look back and I, as I mentioned, my, my dad having passed away before all this happened, I look and I think of how hard he tried 
to blend and to fit and to just make things easy. And they weren't for him. He actually passed away from lung cancer and he started smoking when he was 13. And I know he was self-medicating. It was anxiety, it was social anxiety. My God, what if he had been born in a day like this where he could have you know, either had access to um, pharmaceuticals that would have actually been able to be helpful or you know, therapy or an identification of some sort. Um, so I feel very, feel very blessed to have that perspective and that insight. Well, what about a little bit more about your, you know, your career, if any, you know, before diagnosis? Because um, as somebody who was in a profession and switched it to have a, a focus, you know, after things made sense, although there's, you know, did, did you have a background that, you know, led you to do what you did and you switched or are you just like, I got this now? Yeah. You know, no. Um, so I was at that point a stay-at-home mom. Um, my degree was in America. So I, I, school was my thing. I loved academics. Um, I went to Brown and Columbia. They were, you know, so, so that certainly goes to, you know, spit in the face of the idea that one cannot be good in scholastics and also be on the spectrum, um, as you both know, obviously, right. Um, you know, I, my, my degree was in American civilization, which is like a blend of media, popular culture and American literature and history. What the heck does that have to do with any of this? Absolutely zero. Um, I went to grad school in social work, but that, looking back on that, it was, I was trying to figure out people and how they worked. I was trying to figure out interpersonal dynamics, you know, and how if, if you say this or ask this kind of question in this way, this is the response you're going to get, or this is what to do if you want this kind of response. I was basically doing a social skills lesson for myself. That's what I was making grad school into. Um, and I can say my honors thesis at, uh, at Brown in undergrad was on Barbie. So what I say is I was like studying how to be a, a woman, right? Like in late 20th century America, I was because that was, it was about post-war, Barbie is a post-war modern didactic tool of femininity, blah, blah, blah. In other words, how Barbie is like representing women or not. I was studying my way to being, you know, to Matt, that was my mask was, was studying. Um, but once I, I was going to say almost differently that your, your degree is in masking there. Basically, yeah, yeah so. completely, completely. Um, and so instead of intuiting things, I was intellectualizing them, you know? Um, but Basically, no, I, you know, I, after um, grad school, I taught a little while. I had been a domestic violence counselor. I taught a little while and then I got pregnant and um, knew I wanted to stay home when my kids were, at least until my youngest was in, uh, in uh, kindergarten. That was my plan. Um, it's what I started doing. Um, but basically when the kids were being diagnosed or identified think, or things were just a little different with them, the professionals started asking me, well, why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? Why are you trying this? And, you know, sometimes that was in a, um, not accusatory way, but in a questioning kind of way. But more often than not, it seemed like it was in a, huh, because that's kind of interesting. What's up with that kind of way? Um, which also eventually led to the whole me getting identified because it made what they were doing and how they were acting made sense, I suppose, to me. Um, but no, the truth is that, that um, I was asked, there's an expression if three people say something to you in a short period of time, it's the angels talking to you. Well, I don't know about that, but in one week period, I had three people say to me, professionals in my kids' lives, say that I either needed to write a book or start a school. Starting a school was the funniest thing I had ever heard of because I had, like I said, like, you know, what, what, what were they then? You know, eight, five, and two. I mean, two-year-old, yeah, sure, I'm going to start a school. That sounds, you know, doable right now. 
or what was within my wheelhouse, but I could sit down and write a book. Um, and I thought, you know, it, I didn't take it seriously until one therapist in particular said, it's very possible that what you say about the way you're teaching your kids, the way you're parenting them, um, because I was doing a lot of like educational things with the kids too, um, but the way you're teaching them, the way you're parenting them um, could change the way that we understand and approach children and people who are on the autism spectrum. Um, how do you say no to that? You, you, you just can't. Um, so long story long, I guess, but trying to be short, I sent in, I, I wrote a book in six weeks. I sent in a um, manuscript or rather, you know, proposal um, to JKP, Jessica Kingsley Publishers. And that was a Monday. Wednesday, I got an email from this lady, Jessica, and, uh, there, could I possibly, did I have the rest of it? Could I send it? I did have the rest of it. I could send it. I did. I then realized this Jessica was Jessica Kingsley, the CEO. And it happened to be that my manuscript had landed on her desk. And I don't know why to this day, it just happened to be that way. And by Friday, I had um, a book contract. And before that book was out, my second one was already in contract. And it's it just never, yeah. So when I say this was this was like meant to be somehow, it 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 just was, you know, it just um all the pieces fell into place. That's pretty incredible. I mean, as yeah. someone who's, uh, you know, I, I have two books. I was published twice and I know how hard it is to find a publisher or even yeah. just a literary agent. So yeah, that's, that's really impressive. And I, I see what you're saying when you said like, it was meant to be, I, yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit like this, like, yeah, sometimes things are meant to happen. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for people who are, um, looking to uh, specialize in like a career and like really follow their dreams. Cause for a lot of autistic people, I mean, I know I'm that way where I need to be doing what I love. And, you know, you can say it's the same for everybody, but I think when you're on the spectrum, like you really have that one thing you're good at and you want to do like yeah. how, what advice do you have for people who, uh, who are looking to do the same as basically what you did? Yeah. You know, I think, and that's a great question. The truth is that what I did what I do evolves so much. It has changed so much, yet there is a truth to it all. I think I'm an edutainer. Um, I, I love to teach and I love to en entertain. Um, background in the theater, I think that makes has made public speaking easy for me. Um, so put it all together and whether that is, you know, what I'm doing with the folks who are um, on Love on the Spectrum or whether it was in writing things and doing, you know, lessons for my kids when they were little, um, for me, it's been about, like you just said, Eileen, knowing my strengths, knowing what I'm good at, trusting what I'm good at. Because um, I think we all do have a sense, um, just as much as maybe we've had a sense of what we're not so hot at and what our challenges are, you know, <laughs> but knowing I'm in my zone when I am doing. And I also think that keeping the enough variation in the, because otherwise it's like you get that mental itch that ADHD like we've got to have enough change at least for me I have to have enough change from um a little bit day to day or else I just start to feel worn down so um it's that balance between finding routine and then also finding enough to be different but I think if you can find um to simply know what you are genuinely good at then you can find ways to integrate that into almost any specific career, I, I think. Um, I think you gotta be willing to, you have to be willing to listen um, and take feedback. That can be really hard. I think for a lot of us, it's very, very hard to um, disassociate critique of what we might do and critique of who we are. And they're not the same thing. 
you know, um, and that can be really hard to discern which is which. At least I, I certainly, you know, I can I can remember very clearly in um, my second book, the secret book, African secret book of social rules. Um, I really was just in the proposal for that. I wasn't even. I was not, not doing a good job in the proposal because I was being a little bit mind blind. I wasn't taking the time to, to show as much as I, as I needed to. And I almost lost the proposal for a book that is now sold almost hundred thousand copies. Like, you know, you have to, you have to stop and, and be willing to say, okay. And 99,000 more than you, right, Eileen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> not a competition, not a competition. Um, I think that what's, what's important is that in that moment, you know, my editor said, don't waste my time, you know, and I could have just crumbled. Um, and there was part of me that didn't want to hide under a desk and just like never show my face to the sun again. But what she was saying is you're not giving me enough. You're not doing enough of a job here. You need to, it, when I did, you know, 24 hours, I said, and I said, can you give me 24 hours to do a better job of this explanation and the proposal? And she said, yes, but that was, you know, 24 hours later, she was like dancing on the ceiling going, this is going to be one of the most fundamental books we have. Okay. But I think in that moment, had I crumbled or had I crawled away, which I wanted to do, then it doesn't matter how good of an edutainer, doesn't matter how good of a speaker I am, doesn't matter how good of a writer I was, it would not have mattered for a lick. Um, but what did matter was that in that moment, I could say, I hear you. I, this is a social skill that I had learned it, right? I mean, I hear you. Thank you give me another shot and then darn it all did my best to, you know, to do it. Um, and I think it's when we do those things that we really show, perhaps even show ourselves what we can do. So I have a hot question for you. Okay. okay. You go by Cook, formerly O'Toole. Yes. So yeah. that means you've had some success or struggles with relationship. Can you share about those? Sure. And that's a very fair question. Yeah. And then I put the formerly O'Toole. Sometimes people don't say it anymore, which is just fine. But because my older books say O'Toole. And so, you know, for a good while, people knew me as, as that. Um, and now, obviously, I mean, in personal life, you know, I'm, I'm actually remarried. And so, you know, so personally, it's neither of those names <laughs> that, that I go by. Um, but Jennifer Cook seems, seemed like an easy transition. Um, and yeah, absolutely. That was, it was a very hard time in my life. Um, I was divorced five years ago. Um, and I have to say that I'm, and it's, I do think it's entertaining that both times that I've been married, I've married somebody on the spectrum. So yeah, I think that's telling, you know, maybe, maybe it's for me that I'm used to, I know what I, there's like a, there's a, there's an unknown quality. Um, I think that, you know, I know that on, in the show, a lot of, a lot of people have asked, well, does it have to be, or did it have to be that people were going to marry or, or date somebody on the spectrum? And absolutely not. Right. I do not think by any stretch of the imagination that if you're going to have a successful relationship and happen to be on the spectrum, that you're going to have to be with somebody who's on the spectrum. But clearly for me, this seems to be a thing. And I think probably if we want to get into the psychobabble, I'm sure it has something to do with my father having been on the spectrum and, you know, we can go all the way back into my childhood. Right. But I think that, um, for me, had I had to come through that time of a breakup and then being by myself and then getting remarried without really understanding who I was, I, I can only imagine how much harder it would have been. So I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful that I had that under my, you know, um, beforehand. 
Um, and I'm very grateful that my kids have grown up knowing who and how they are as well. Um, and I think it's helped them to be forgiving of the human beings that their father and I are. We still have a very good relationship, which I'm very glad of, because um, it's important. And you know, their stepdad is a very different human being, um, but it is it is fun to see how I can still, and he can do it with me. You know, I could see, oh, you're having your that's an Aspie moment for sure, or that's a, you know, that's a little moment right there. Um, it's a very much of a yin yang experience, and I like that. So, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but no, no, that answers it perfectly. I've been waiting for somebody to ask me that. Nobody ever has. So I've been waiting for that. So okay. there you go. Yeah. Yep. That's funny. Seems like yep. such a like, I I know. question. Because you're on the spectrum. I know. Yeah. Obvious, right? I know. Need to know. So yeah, it's especially if I'm getting dating advice for Pete's sakes. You know? Well, I, I... <laughs> I mean, but you also weren't giving dating advice when you first got married. So what better way to learn from than from somebody who's failed and then learned how to succeed in a lot of ways, right? Well, I'd like to think that I didn't fail. In fact, I would say that I didn't. I would say that um, I had a really successful relationship with another human being. And that means that that other human being is also probably not perfect and probably very human. And so the best marriage I could have would be something that's always going to be in relationship to that other person and then what they are, what he's able to do or not able to do or does or doesn't do. So I think that failure would have come if I had not taken care of myself and not taken care of my children. Um, but I think, and so I don't think that that's failure. That's a lot of words for saying the best decision for your happiness was to find somebody else who would make you happier, not stay in a bad relationship. Got it. You got it. Okay. Sorry. It took me a little while to follow. So I just wanted no. to make sure I was translating that for other people too. And Absolutely. also understand it correctly. And I'm glad that you so. did. And I'm glad that you did. And like I said, I you know, try to do it in a way that is respectful anyway, because I think that everybody grows after experiences like a course. Um, but that all being said, you know, dating and being married are very different things um that you know one is that one is what i was giving advice on on love and spectrum is really like about making friends if you will it's friends with benefits you know if you will it's it's that little bit of um like leveling up the friendship game um and learning how to make small talk yes but also be able to be playful in a way that is sincere it's so tricky i get that but they're, they're very different things. And that's why when I said I've been waiting for somebody to ask the question, I've been shocked that nobody, nobody did. You know, here I am giving dating advice. But, um, but I think the point is that, that they are very different things. Being you know, married for, we were married for 17 years. So a long, a long while. Um, but I have to say that um, I am definitely in love with and married to my best friend now, who was, and my daughter says, it's proof that you can marry your celebrity crush because um, I met him through my autism work and he was, he was a fan. So there you go. <laughs> so, so you worked with Netflix. There was a show, um, that again, uh, love on the spectrum. I mean, a lot of people have, you know, seen it, spoke about it. Um, can you tell us what, you know, positive, you know, surprises that you saw, you know, going into it, like, or, and, or, or also to, you know, what was, wrong but but tell us just like positive like good and bad um you know and this is more from like the actual behind the scenes like not with the people but with like netflix themselves like what did you right. experience How are so 
So my um, my experience has been with um, Keanu O'Cleary, who's there, who is the producer and the director, rather. Um, he was the director of the series when they were in Australia as well. And I had been I had watched it in Australia. I was very impressed with it, I have to admit. Um, and when they brought it here, you know, he was still in charge. He Netflix had had picked up the Australian series and then worked with him to decide that they wanted an American series. So I didn't have to. Well, I didn't know I was interacting with Netflix um, until really until after the show came out, we were doing publicity. But because then it was I'm working with the, you know, with the Netflix marketing team and things like that. However, um, I didn't realize how that that my um, original work that that they filmed that Kean and the team filmed had to be evaluated by and okay by Netflix beforehand or before before basically I got the job. I thought I already had the job. <laughs> I didn't even realize that that tells you something um, because I had been flown to uh, actually to Nashville. Um, I had a great experience. That's the truth. It sounds, you know, like, I don't know, like I wouldn't even believe it myself, but Kean did such a great job of trying to show a diverse representation of the spectrum. And I don't mean that necessarily in like the terms of, um, you know, would he have loved to have somebody of every of every shade and hue or of every representation, um, you know, when it comes to representing the LGBTQ plus community. Oh my gosh, of course, of course, if we could have had more than six people too, that would have been enormously wonderful. What he focused on doing as far as diversity was trying to show a diverse spectrum. Um, in fact, there was actually, there was, um, uh, I will say, having watched the, the show, um, yeah. and I was trying to avoid it, but then, like, you're coming on the podcast, so I can't avoid it any longer. And then my wife's like, yes, because she loves, no offense, trash reality dating TV, and so we haven't That's seen okay. it yet. Um, and so I will say that we both commented that the, the diverseness that you're describing, we mm -hmm. do feel was was done really well. Like, there was yeah. obviously, like, a lot of effort put into it. And I'm sure people are complaining somewhere about lack of it, because people do. Um, but I, I was very impressed with, you know, the diversity from just again, like, you know, cause it is a spectrum and just from, yeah. you know, the extent it also, yeah. it seemed like it was done really well. I, I couldn't think of like, oh man, like maybe it's like that type of, or something like didn't really, you know, come to mind. So that, that was, there's a phrase that, that I have heard before, um, autism porn. And, you know, the idea being right, that, that it's like some kind of voyeuristic, um, just, you know, like, let's all watch the autistic people now, right? And what I loved was that this wasn't that. Um, I don't I don't watch like trash reality shows. I, you know, I, I don't, I, it's just not my thing, which, but I have no judgment on those who do, but I wouldn't have wanted to be part of one. Does that make sense? It does, um, it does. Like, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't have looked at myself in the mirror because I really would have thought, geez, everybody thought I saw this, you know, um, and I couldn't have done that. Um, what, what was pretty cool, though, was, you know, getting to, um, getting to travel, getting to do the work, um, getting to, you know, pop into these real families and these real homes where people are genuinely about to have these super important life moments and getting to be part of that. That was pretty dang cool. Um, the only stressful, this the only stressful moment that happened in the whole thing was uh, getting ready for one filming or one scene. Um, and the outfit that I had on had flowers and apparently couldn't have flowers because of some filming technique, some technical something couldn't have. And so we had to run to a TJ Maxx at nine o'clock in the morning in LA to try to find clothes to stick me in that I ended up getting dressed in somebody's driveway. 
So there you go. There was that was a little tumultuous. Uh, um, besides that, it really was a great experience. Um, I have to say I felt respected um, and listened to, if not a little tired sometimes. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an amazing thing. I was going to ask yeah, um, the, about the people behind the scenes. Like, were there any accommodations uh, for you and the other people? Like, how, how were the, the people? I don't know how much you can tell us, but uh, I'm yeah, curious. Yeah, no, they were amazing. You know, like I said, for me, the only, and it was really stressful, actually, like having to, having to run to a store to have to change, to get an outfit, you know, come back and then change. I was prepared for what I was going to be wearing. I was prepared for what I was going to do. And suddenly, you know, it's 110 degrees and we're running to get clothes that are unfamiliar and I'm in dressing rooms, trying things on and blah, 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 blah. blah. And then we're back in a driveway trying to change. That was the only time that it was a little bit chaotic. And even at that, the producers kept going, are you okay? Are you okay? And so I, had I been not okay, I could have said, no, I really just need to like sit, you know, I really just need to stop. Um, so the onus was put on me, which is where it should have been, you know, um, and maybe, maybe I should have said, no, I think I need a moment, but, but, you know, there, there, that's a lesson to learn, I suppose. But, um, I think probably I did better by, by not stopping the momentum. Um, the producers, you know, and that's who really handle everything. The producers, they were, um, they were fantastic. Um, you know, I could, if, if the, um, like one of the participants that I was working with kind of after we finished, she kind of kept getting up and was going off and going off and said, they said, okay, she's, she's had enough. We're going to go outside and like film the pool because we need some B-roll and that's what we're going to do when we're going to talk to you. And then we're going to be done because she doesn't need us in her house anymore today. And even though they would have liked to have done more filming, it was, it was more important that the people who were doing the filming felt like they were being accurately represented on camera. Um, and, um, you know, I know you were saying, Andrew, about knowing Danny into it, like, that's the, the same, right? It, with each of the people, I think that everybody needed to be happy with, with themselves and the representation that was on film. And I think that it wasn't so, you know, it wasn't at any point that Danny speaks for all autistic women or Abby does, or Sabote speaks for all autistic men, you know, or that I would speak for anybody other than myself. And I think that that was, there was a lot of respect, um, built in there as well. So, no, I mean, that that's great. I mean, you know, no, like, spilling of the tea. It's a little disappointing, but, you know, I'll, yeah, sorry. I'll, I'll try to find something else negative before the podcast. I know, well, sorry, uh, I know. I quote, like sarcasm, I said, but not really. No, I know. You know I mean? I know. Barely I, sarcasm. I, that's why I, all I can give you is the, like, the freaking out yeah. of the thing. And that was a little freaky. I guess uh, that's good. Um, so, 10th anniversary of your book, right? Yeah. You wrote it one year about literally, like, about after you being diagnosed you assume didn't know nearly as much about autism as you did then. Right. Um, you also, you know, so I mean, two things. So, you know, well, I'll ask the first one first. What has changed since you wrote the original book? Mm -hmm. And what did you get wrong? That's a great, those are great questions. Um, okay, so I'll go with what did I get wrong first? Because I don't think it was so much wrong as my eyes opened. And I'm so proud of that. So um, there was a section, there is a section on dating, which is now much, there's much more to it um, than in the original. But I noticed in going through it that I, everything was he, she, right? So there were no, there was that, you know, 10 years ago, the use of the them or they pronoun wasn't very common, right? So um, because I am a word nerd, I would say things like, 
you know, um, everyone needs to do it for him, for himself or him or herself, because that is grammatically correct. But that leaves out a big portion of the population, I realize, you know, so that needed to change. It needed to make sure that, because um, there are illustrations and there needed to be um, sort of a more androgynous looking um, character as well. There was a very clearly looking, you know, identify as male or female, like high school or teenager. Um, but there needed to be somebody who was probably more of a they, and there needed some to be somebody who um, was a darker hue. And I was really excited to be able to have a chance to, you know, to have a say in that changing, because obviously I didn't draw them. Um, but to be able to say, you know, have a say in that changing. But that's for sure one thing that could have been better. Um, the other thing that changed, right, is social media. Um, I mean, 10 years ago, you're talking about like, it was, it was a, to be able to say like your Facebook wall, what, like, you know, like MySpace had just died and it was just, Facebook was like the thing and it was the wall, not like your page. And again, it was, Facebook was the thing, right? Like, you know, and so there was no Instagram, there was no Snapchat, there was no Discord, there was no nothing, you know? So there was no discussion of like not taking this kind of photograph of yourself. And even if your boyfriend or girlfriend or partner simply says, you know, it's not going to go anywhere, blah, blah, blah. Okay. But sometimes breakups happen. And what happens when there's a breakup and some of these feelings are really hurt, da, 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 you know, being aware of things like that. So um, that's what I would say. I would say the top, the, the subjects around dating, around gender and sexuality and um, around social media, totally, totally revamped. Um, because they had to be. I mean, they just, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't even make sense. It was almost laugh, you know, almost comical. But anything in regards to your understanding in autism that, nope. that you learned in the past. So you got it all, you got your understanding right. Apparently so, I got it good. right. I don't know. Okay. Like, I don't, yeah, going by, going by the, the results, I got it right. What's funny is though, that when I started this book, um, it started off as a journal for myself of going, oh wait, that's a social rule. I didn't know that social rule. Hold on. And I'm like, literally, this is right after I was diagnosed. And I'm like writing them down, writing them down. So, so my therapist at the time was the one who said to me, you know, like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm basically making my own little book of social rules here because there are all these things that like everybody else knows. I don't know. Apparently it's like I'm playing the game of life without a, any directions here. And so I'm going to have this for myself. And she said, you should submit that to your publisher. That could be a book. And I said, nobody would want to read it. It is now in eight languages. It is like but, but all this stuff. Clearly mind blind girl here does not really know what the world, <laughs> how, how common my own experience, you know, is and was. Um, so, so yeah, but, but no, the thought processes that are, that were in there were still legit, which is kind of cool. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, it's really um, so another just question on the book, you chose to keep the title the yeah, same right. and which also amazes me, you chose to keep the title and you've only got one person ever annoyed at you on social media. <laughs> um, so can you tell me and, you know, how, how you seem to either, you know, avoid that? What was the reason to, yeah. you know, keep the title? And for other people like, you know, Eileen, who was diagnosed with, you know, that term and, and other people who are just trying to you know, like get by. That's what from being was... Asperger's syndrome and the word Asperger kids is what you're saying. Yes. 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 Yeah. I mean, I know I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, well, first of all, as the author, I didn't have entirely the choice because in the end it's the publisher's decision. Okay. So yeah. So um, that's a little bit 
part of the story, um, a, a big part of the story. Um, but that being said, it kind of went back to that Asper Kids became its own brand. And because there were, there were five books in the series that were the Asper Kids this, the Asper Kids that, the Asper Kids this, um, to just have one that had been in fact the most popular of the series, like the first book is called Asper Kids. So, you know, it's part of, part of a collection, if you will. So um, the interest from the publisher in, in, in removing that altogether was not there. Um, so that really, I didn't really have an option, but I came to be okay with it because, um, you know, it really did end up being more about a, sort of a movement or a, a, like I said, a brand that meant something different to people. Um, and I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that part. Um, yeah, I would have, I mean, if I probably, if I had had my druthers, I probably would have changed it, but then it would have been a totally different book and people would have been like, what the heck? It wouldn't have been the 10th anniversary of something. It would have been its own, it's, own, it's like a new book altogether. So do you have any uh, dating advice uh, for, for people, whether, I mean, I'm sure you do have a lot, uh, especially maybe um, people who are coming out of a, a relationship or marriage, like getting back into, into dating? Yeah, you know, I think that, and getting back into dating is such, such a different thing too, right? But yeah, I think that um, being able to take your time and know yourself truly is above and beyond the primary thing. Because I think where you get into trouble is when you find yourself in a situation that you're looking for completion in another person. Um, because when that happens, you know, what's that old expression? If you don't know what you stand for, you'll fall for anything. It's that same thing, right? If you can be put up on a pedestal, the pedestal can be ripped out from underneath you too, just as fast. And you go flying down to the ground, fall flat on your face. Um, you know, I think that it really, it, when it comes down to it, um, it's building on a foundation of friendship. And that's why the skills that, and I'm not saying you have to be friends with someone beforehand, but when it comes down to it, you've got to be able to be friends with somebody as well as lovers. Um, and if you, can, if you can't be, it's not gonna work, you know? Um, and so that's why I think that those quote unquote secret social rules of, you know, um, slow sharing, revealing little bits about yourself, not all at once, but taking your time, um, looking for common interests, but being okay with um, trying things that are outside of your comfort zone. Um, you know, looking in conversation to do what you all, what you all do here, which is, you know, open-ended questions. Tell me more about this, as opposed to um, creating interview situations. That's like the worst thing you can do, right? When it's just da, 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 as opposed to having a dialogue. Um, and and in part, it is open-ended. Like, what do you want, what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? We're super open-ended, right? It's very hard yeah. for us, but we're asking like, more like leading than open-ended. I just exactly. want to clarify well, the, because the me, I know what Yeah, you mean. no, the tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. Use the tell me more thing. Like tell me more can always get you more. It always <laughs> going to take you further um, because you're trying to get someone to like paint a picture for you because the more that they can show you about what's going on in their mind, the better you can are going to be able to relate to it and ask more questions and have more of a follow-up. And the reality is there's nothing you can say, not one single thing that you can say that's going to make you more interesting to that person than if you can get that person to talk about themselves and can find interesting things about 
what they're saying and can find interest in what they're saying. Because if we feel like we are being um, paid attention to, seen and heard, then we're gonna like that whomever is making us feel that way. And that's really, that's like the key. That's, you know, the, um, the ultimate, every, look, everything is hard before it's easy. That's, we know that, right? And we know the body language can be tricky. It's like this, it's, it is like a whole completely different other, another language. But um, I think that if we can um, be interested by being, um, or be interesting by being interested, we can remember the simple fact that in ancient Greece, Hygieia, who's the goddess of cleanliness, is best friends with Aphrodite goddess of love. I don't think this is by accident. I think, you know, some basic hygiene, never hurt anybody, right? You know, um, manners and, and the doorbell rings, sorry. Um, keeping manners together and complimenting when we think something, when you think something that's complimentary, except for perhaps about someone's body shape, because that is not something we talk about in the beginning for sure, right? But a compliment, uh, when you think it, to say it, I think that goes a, a long way. And how very autistic of you to have a trained doorbell, by the way. So I appreciate that. Oh, God, that. that's, someone, that's someone leaning on the doorbell. <laughs> Even though my whole family knows that no one should be ringing the doorbell right now. No one is answering the doorbell. So that's great. It did sound like a train. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I thought you had a trained doorbell. And it was like on yeah. purpose. Yeah, like, no. No? no. Oh. I know you... Uh you know, no social media 10 years ago. I mean, not really, it was different back then, but are you on social media now? And if so, where yeah. can people find you? Sure, so Instagram is probably the easiest way for everybody, I think, right? So it's just at Jennifer Cook underscore author. Um, and um, on Facebook, it's the same thing. It's Jennifer Cook author. Um, and I try really, really, really hard to respond to as many um, messages and questions as I possibly can. Um, and it's becoming a little bit impossible, but I am trying. So people should definitely feel free to at least reach out. Awesome. So um, we're switching it up. Um, but so I'm asking the quick fire questions, um, okay. which is frustrating because usually I try to throw in some like really random ones that throw <laughs> off Eileen. And so now I don't get to do that this time. So, um, so again, we just asked some like questions, like just what comes to your mind, like quick, like, you know, don't overthink this, right. Okay. Um, you know, impossible task. So, um, so we're gonna go. Um, do you have a favorite author? If so, who? Other than yourself, of course. Yeah, definitely other than myself. Okay, so growing up, it would have to be um, well, two. It would be Lucy Maud Montgomery for Anne of Green Gables and Laura Ingalls Wilder for all the Little House and Prairie Bills. Rock, paper, scissors. Um, I seem to go with rock. So apparently, rock. Uh, favorite alcoholic drink. Okay, as long as it has a strong flavor that is not necessarily the alcohol, like. Uh, Bloody Mary, love the love the mixer. Margarita, love the citrus. It's, so yeah, so hide, hide the liquor part of it and I'll be happy. Okay. <laughs> Although, what? wait, no, my favorite is Bee's Knees. What's that? Yeah, what's that? So it's from like the 1920s and um, it is gin and honey syrup and something else that I'm forgetting. It's not very complicated, but it's just, it's delicious. You have to look up how to Bee's Knees. I've only gotten it at like, really good restaurants where you've got a really good bartender, but if you, if you are, it's good stuff. What is your favorite fictional portrayal of autism in the media? I will tell you the honest truth is that I have not watched many. Um, I can't, it's just, it seems like, um, I guess when you're living it, 
to watch entertainment that represents it, you know, isn't so entertaining. And so it can be a little bit tiresome and tiring. So I have to admit that I haven't really watched much. When you were a child, what was your dream job or what did you envision you would be? Okay, one two things, an author, seriously, or a dancer. I, possibly a rockette, but it was a rockette until I realized if you did the rockettes, then you like could never do a solo. So then maybe not the rockettes, but yes. I danced for 20 years. That was my one of my loves growing up. So can you still dance? Can I still dance? Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> still boogie. Yeah, I don't have it. I just have to make up excuses now. <laughs> I don't have dance, to I make up excuses not to dance. I'm I, I, I'm I'm the worst. So that's the same. Oh. Yes. No, no coordination. I, uh, oh no. I wasn't, I wasn't diagnosed with autism again until later, but I, our fourth grade teacher wanted the whole class to do it earth, wind, and fire, like, you know, performance for the talent show. And there were me and two other kids, at least one of them was almost certainly autistic. The teacher didn't know, he just know I couldn't dance or sing or do anything. Right. So he had us, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. He got us sunglasses and a sh shirt that said like security and a hat. So I just got to walk out in front of the stage with my arm crossed and I just stood there the whole like, time. Oh, it was awesome. the best. And I thought it was so cool. So like kudos That's to awesome. him Amazing. for being so inclusive, you know, for the yeah. people who couldn't, you know, yeah, I that. Yeah. was really creative. Yeah, oh, I love so. it. Yeah, cool story for real. Yes. Cool yeah, so well, well thank um, you so much for joining us. Yeah, oh, it's my yeah. pleasure. I love the questions you guys ask. Great questions. Thank you. Thanks.